You're listening to Earth Matters with Nikki Stott, produced on the lands of the Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation, where sovereignty has never been ceded. And I pay my respects to elders, past, present and emerging, and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander peoples who are listening today. The WA moratorium on fracking is set to be lifted in the Kimberley next month, with an estimated 40,000 wells set to be drilled across one of the most stunning and pristine landscapes this continent has to offer. Furthermore, the Fitzroy River, one of the major rivers in the Kimberley with 20 tributaries, is not only being threatened by fracking, but also by the latest push from big agribusiness to invest in massive dams and other development infrastructure along those waterways. Traditional owners from the Kimberley say they're not necessarily opposed to development for agribusiness, but they have some serious concerns around the sustainability of these development plans after witnessing the devastating effects of the kind of long-term mismanagement issues that led to the recent Murray-Darling crisis on the eastern side of the continent in recent years. Later in the show, we'll hear from Martin Pritchard, at Environs Kimberley about both of these issues. But first, we'll hear from Dr Anne Polina, a Nigana woman from the West Kimberley and chair of the Mudawara Fitzroy River Council, which is comprised of 12 native tidal groups along the river. Dr Anne was interviewed recently by Viv Marlow from 3CR's Black Block regarding this issue of free prior and informed consent and self-determination for TOs on what goes down on their own country there in regards to agribusiness development. We have Dr Anne Paulina, who's the chair of the Matawara Fitzroy Council on the Fitzroy River. Please tell us why this Matawara Council was formed. And A couple of months ago, in early March, uh, we had the opportunity to invite Badger Bates and Grant Rigney from NBAN and Mildred to come over and share some of their experiences in regards to what's been happening on the Murray-Darling Basin and the rivers over there. And it was quite a wake-up call in regards to seeing how governments and big corporations have absolutely disregarded our precious and sacred rivers and to see the disaster that's been created in the Murray-Darling Basin from what we think are a couple of very, very big, greedy frogs up the river system. So um, I think what's important is for Aboriginal people to be able to share the stories that are happening around the country in regards to our rivers and living water systems and some of the struggles that we continually are faced with today in regards to how people from somewhere else want to develop our lands and waters for somebody else. Back in 2016, traditional owners from along the Fitzroy River met and we declared the Fitzroy River Declaration. And we've been looking at the way, you know, some of these things are being planned for our rivers, particularly in northern Australia in regards to development. So in 2018, uh, six of the different native title groups came together to form the Matawara Fitzroy River Council. And we've come up with a set of terms of reference and an MOU for how we're going to be working together with our native title groups and the council and looking at some of the big development pressures that are heading our way. People may not be aware, but the Fitzroy River was National Heritage listed in 2011 because of its outstanding examples of cultural stories and environmental values that are close linked to the river. And also the whole of the river, 733 kilometres of the river, is registered as an Aboriginal heritage site within the WA um, Aboriginal Heritage Act. So it's a very significant river. It's highly prized by people who want to look at how they're going to do development from it. 
But from a global perspective, there's not another river like it anywhere else on the planet. So it is globally unique. And I guess what we're saying is that how do we look at this amazing river system and start to do business differently? Because one of the things we want to put out there is that the Matawara Fitzroy River Council is pro-development, but it's development that's going to ensure our sustainable life and life ways on living on country and with country. And so that's really important. I think the other thing to make note of in regards to um, sharing with the Eastern States listeners is um, that the river, when all of us came together to get it registered under national heritage, all of the nations along the river said this is a sacred river system. The Marawara Fitzroy River Council represents Yungugu, which is the rainbow snake in my part of the catchment, but as it moves through the different native tidal lands and waters, obviously because our laws are place-based and sometimes the names of that sacred living ancestral being, which is the rainbow serpent, is changed in, in terms of the naming. But it's a significant river system and at the moment we're definitely at a, at a crossroads with the proposals for development um, within the catchment. We currently have a request by one of our pastoralists to look at developing... Well, it's hard to know what they want to develop because at one point, you know, we heard that uh, there's a proposal to grow cotton on the Fitzroy River. And it's really interesting in regards to some of the people who are behind these types of developments. I mean, the Gogo Station or the Gogo Pastoralies has got members of the Harris family that are involved. And those of you that may be on the East Coast and have heard that, you know, the Harris family, not this particular family, but connections to it in terms of the extended family, have been taken to the New South Wales Land Administration Court because of water theft. So we're just a little bit worried in regards to what people's intentions are. Excuse me, it's very difficult to know what people are actually proposing because it's such a long lead-up time in regards to when people put their plans in and the opportunity for Aboriginal people to respond. We've also had conversations from Gina Reinhardt in regards to supposedly trading her land for water. And one of the things that we've been very clear about is that pastoralists don't own the land. They have a lease to develop their property around pastoral and if they had the right to diversify, then possibly around agriculture. But just making it very clear that we've not seceded our land and that we are still standing as sovereign people and that the Matawara Fitzroy River Council is a place where all of the different groups can come together and learn about the science and the policies and the legislation so that we're in a better position to be able to make sound judgments about how these developments are to proceed. Wow. It sounds like a massive, from here, from where I'm standing, a David and Goliath battle here. You've got the Pastoralists and Graziers Association. Four ministers in WA that, is that right? Four, because I know WA and Victoria. Yeah, regulated under four different set, uh, ministers. That, that's correct. One of the things that's recently happened is that we've had a very big uh, foreign Chinese company buy one of the pastoral leases, and it's been quite out there in the news in regards to it's highly likely that this company may have performed an illegal act in regards to illegal clearing of vast amounts of native bush. And one of the things that uh, some of the traditional owners have been able to do is take it to the Indigenous People's Caucus and apparently... The caucus has now taken, it has an official complaint to the United Nations. And so we've got these sorts of things on the agenda. But Aboriginal people from right around the catchment, but also pastoralists from all around the catchment are watching this story in regards to what's happening at Yakamunga because 
it will really set the precedence for how pastoralists do business with Aboriginal people, particularly around diversification and where some of these pastoralists are wanting to go with very large-scale agricultural and irrigation of possibly cotton. We're also hearing stories about diversification in regard to looking at different forms of herd management. And one of the big issues is that we're saying that the Fitzroy River Management Plan, which the government is developing, needs to be co-designed with the Marawara Fitzroy River Council and other Aboriginal groups, and that we need to be very careful about the water allocation plans, because at the moment, many people do not realise that water in Western Australia is actually free. So we're quite concerned that we don't want to see water used as a tradable commodity and that there are very strict conditions put on these uh, licences. So the Fitzroy River Management Plan needs to be an adaptive plan that can respond to climate change and changes in terms of river flow. But I think the most important point that the Matawara Fitzroy River Council is wanting to put out there is that we're not talking about a water allocation plan. We're talking about the reallocation of water because we believe that the catchment is currently being uh, used by the environment and by traditional owners. So what we're saying is that most of this um, really needs to be, if not all of it, put together so that we are following science, not politics, and that Aboriginal people are front and centre in in the government's decision-making in regards to the Fitzroy River and uh, the management plan and the water allocation plans and how things are proceeding. But we've got a short window in time because... The management plan is due to be put out as a draft and we want to make sure that that draft management plan, Fitzroy River management plan, is peer-reviewed so that there's greater scrutiny and we're also looking at what we're calling a water reallocation plan by the end of 2020. So, yeah, big pressure's coming to the Fitzroy River because, as we know, none of us are in a post-colonial framework. We're still getting invasive and exploitive development and we do need to stand together and be united if we're going to unpack a lot of the complexity, particularly around land, water and our people. And let's, yeah, keep this momentum going. See how you go, because on the 30th and the 31st, we've got a meeting in Pittsburgh Crossing in, um, of July. And then um, in August, we've got a very big meeting with government and the pastoralists and other people who believe that they've got a right to take as much water as they want from this amazing river system. You know what I mean? That's the sacred ancestor and we've got to do the right thing under our duty of care to the river. It's all of us standing together. It's not a one-man or one-woman show. We all need each other and um, I think it's a great opportunity to come together and um, it's actually the first time in the last 40 years with Native Title that so many different traditional owner groups have come together and said, no, we need to stand for the river. You know what I mean? You've been listening to Dr Anne Polina, a Nigana woman from the West Kimberley and chair of the Mudawara Fitzroy River Council. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This week on the show, the frack is back in WA's Kimberley region and also big agribusiness. And when we say big, we're talking Gina Reinhart big and it doesn't get bigger or scarier than that. As Director Martin Pritchard from Environs Kimberley explains... Environs Kimberley has kind of a long history of protecting the Fitzroy River that dates right back to its formation in 1996. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Environs Kimberley was started up by three people who'd heard about proposals to dam the Fitzroy River in order to grow GM cotton in the Fitzroy Valley. And the traditional owners out in the Fitzroy Valley were very concerned and people in Broome decided to get together to support them 
it took seven years before the proponents withdrew. And during that time, and since then, we've expanded to look at the whole of the Kimberley and protect the whole of the Kimberley and working with Indigenous rangers across this incredible part of the country, looking after the place. And even was it in the 2000s, wasn't there like a government proposal to divert the water by canal from the river to Perth? That's right, yes. The opposition leader at the time, Colin Barnett, who subsequently became the Premier, in 2005 suggested that water from the Kimberley could be diverted to Perth and proposed a canal that would have cost billions of dollars. Uh, There would have been massive evaporation and a huge cost to getting that water down to Perth. And it was totally unrealistic, economically unviable. And he announced that during an election debate, he subsequently got pilloried for that proposal and lost that election. Uh, He came back in 2008 and uh, subsequently became the Premier and pushed for the industrialisation of the Kimberley through putting one of the biggest gas plants in the world at James Price Point. We fought against that. It took us eight years and uh, we stopped that proposal as well. So, um, yeah, we've got a long history here of uh, resisting industrialisation and looking after the Kimberley and... um, Here we are again, facing uh, some pretty major struggles with the wealthiest person in the country, uh, Gina Reinhart. And now, unfortunately, um, we're facing threats to the Fitzroy River once again. So that's Gina Reinhart's mining and big agribusiness company, Hancock Prospecting, that's behind this latest push to get this large-scale industrial development happening along the Fitzroy River waterways. Gina Reinhardt and also the Harris family from New South Wales who are amongst the um, biggest farmers in Australia. They're um, into cotton and cattle and they're trying to expand into um, the irrigation into the Fitzroy Valley and use water from one of its major tributaries, the the Margaret River, um, which is a huge river. Um, But as we know, this last year, for example, this last wet season, We've had virtually um, very little rain at all. And so, um, you know, irrigation is not viable in that kind of circumstance. There's a push to take 325 billion litres per year by Gina Reinhardt and 50 billion litres a year by the Harris family. And to put that into perspective, the 2 million people in the southwest of Western Australia, including Perth, in um, 2017, used much less water than what they're asking to take from the Fitzroy River. Yeah. So, um, you know, we'd be looking at a river that ultimately would face the same fate as the Murray-Darling. Yeah. And obviously that's why we're fighting really hard with the traditional owners to make sure that doesn't happen. So our concern is that there's this massive push at the moment to put huge dams in place and canals and pumps like you see in the Murray-Darling Basin and the Fitzroy River could face that kind of future. So, yeah, we're facing a very significant push here by the corporate giants to industrialise what is at at the moment one of the most pristine tropical savannas in the world. 
this campaign seems to be no different to previous campaigns, would you say, in terms of working really closely with traditional owners because they want to have a say in development because they're concerned that we might get a situation like what's happened in the Murray-Darling Basin over in on the east coast at the moment where this kind of long-term development of the waterways has resulted in catastrophes over here, as everyone well knows at the moment. That's right, yes. We share the concerns of the traditional owners. They've called for a buffer zone around the river where there's no extraction directly from the river and no mining, no fracking. And, you know, the idea is that we keep the Fitzroy flowing free as it is now. And that's what the traditional owners are calling for. That's what we're calling for. But uh, as we know, you know, people with billions of dollars can have an undue influence on governments. So we're very worried that the McGowan government isn't going to stand up to these corporates. And essentially, uh, the decision they face is to take water away from traditional owners and give it to billionaires like Gina Reinhart. So we're fighting very hard to make sure that that doesn't happen at the moment. So what, how do you see the grassroots push on the ground, knowing that you have this really strong history of success with these campaigns? What sort of um, engagement are you seeing with local communities there with, with this latest campaign? Well, what we're finding is that um, they haven't actually been informed properly through government processes. And so um, we're actually going out there and doing the government's job and letting people know what the consequences of decisions like opening up the river and giving the water to um, Gina Reinhardt, what the consequences could be. And obviously, you know, some of those consequences we've seen in the Murray-Darling, where there was a million dead fish at Menindee. So, you know, what, what's happening is that when we let people know here on the ground in the Kimberley, they are horrified and they want to do something about it. But what I really need to let you know is that, um, you know, the success that we've had over the years here in the Kimberley, a lot of that success has been based on the support that we get from people in the south, uh, in the east. People have strongly supported the campaigns to protect the Kimberley here. They've been essential to us being able to, to protect the Kimberley. So now what we're doing is we're calling on that support once again and we need people to come out and to start learning about what's going on here because most of the nation doesn't know about this and to start making a noise over east. So um, we're at a critical point at the moment. The industrialization of the Kimberley is nigh unless we stand up and unless we stand up across the country so, yep, yeah, now is the time to act. Next year is too late. So um, this is when we need to support. Miklo Corpus from Yaru country, east of Broome, 
set up a protest camp in August 2014 after gas company Baru Energy began fracking tests there. Miklo kept his protest camp going for three years while Baru set up two separate shale gas wells on his country. And with wide support from other Kimberley mobs and local communities, he brought widespread attention to the issue of proposed fracking in the Kimberley until 2017 when the WA government called a moratorium on fracking pending an inquiry into safety concerns. 96% of the Yaru people is opposing Buru's fracking programs. I don't trust Buru because the way that they're already dealing with us as Yarrow people, they're going to really push us around because we can't say no. That's what they say. But I'm saying we should be able to say no. It's a free country. This is our country and we say yes in this country and we can say no. We've got too much to lose too much. It's so precious and we should all stand together and stand up and say yes to clean water. Give us a hand folks. Give us a hand. No to fracking. Around the end of last year, the WA government announced that the fracking moratorium in WA would be lifted, and the latest update is that this will happen next month. And last week in Tennant Creek, traditional owners were forced out of a community meeting for local business owners hosted by mining company Origin after the TOs tried to present a letter signed by more than 200 native title holders contesting plans to begin fracking in that area. So far there has been like three wells established in the Kimberley, so it has started, hasn't it? So far we have three wells in the Kimberley that have been fracked. One in 2010 and two in 2015. The company is saying that uh, there is economic quantities and quality of gas there, but they haven't gone any further and, you know, we, we have been fighting against fracking now since, you know, for the, almost for the past 10 years and held mm-hmm. it at bay, apart from those three wells that have been tested. And who was that company with the three tests? Was that Buru? That's right. Yeah, it was yeah. Buru Energy. Yeah. Supported, supported and funded by Mitsubishi. Twiggy Forest also has his own oil and gas company uh, or exploration company, uh, Squadron Resources. Um, that has petroleum leases in the Kimberley. So he's also very interested. And obviously that's a major concern given the amount of capital that he has access to. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And Finder Shale as well, is that right? Yeah, Finder Shale has now spun off their leases. So they've spun off the onshore leases into a company called Thea Energy. And they are pushing for oil that would have to be fracked south of Broome in the Great Sandy Desert. And that is a major concern as well to us. That's sort of, it's so hard these days, isn't it? You're like, all right, who are the bad guys? And they change and they're so slippery and they change the names of their companies and reaffiliate. And What's even worse is that when an issue comes up in the media, they just ignore it. Yeah, there, there, there is no accountability for um, these companies. You know, all they care about is their shareholders, and there's no comeback. They they don't have to answer to um, the general public 
They don't even have to bother answering the media. There's no transparency around them. And that's a really bad thing for democracy as far as we're concerned. And a very uh, difficult and challenging thing for us to have to contend with. Mm, Absolutely. And all the more reason why we need to organise at this grassroots level and get involved in these direct action campaigns where they can't ignore us. The issue of the river development is it's, it's very connected to also the fracking issue, isn't it? And that water is also coming from the river and surrounding catchment in that basement there. Is that right? The fracking does pose a serious risk to the river and to wetlands throughout the Kimberley. What we're looking at potentially is tens of thousands of oil and gas fracking wells across the Kimberley, which is, you know, one of the most uh, important environmental and cultural places in Australia. So, um, yes, we are also about to start ramping up a campaign against fracking, which is, as you say, linked to the river, but uh, is is actually broader than that. Mm. So, um, yeah, we're um, facing uh, multiple challenges. So the moratorium is about to be lifted in... Uh, the Kimberley and the Midwest. Um, and, you know, the government is saying, oh, no, it's, it's very low risk, but they've banned it in the Southwest uh, and in the Peel and metropolitan regions. And they're also planning to ban it on the Dampier Peninsula in the Kimberley. So, you know, our question to them is, well, if you're banning it in those areas, then yeah. why is why is it safe in the rest of the Kimberley? So, you know, at the moment we're facing uh, the lifting of the moratorium and obviously we're going to be doing everything that we can to support the community and the traditional owners to make sure that no fracking happens in the Kimberley. Yeah, and again, all the more reason for people to be aware of that, keep informed about that and also, again, be ready to organise and mobilise in support to protect this pristine, beautiful part of this continent. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Nikki Stott. This week on the show we heard from Dr Anne Paulina, a Nigana woman from the West Kimberley and chair of the Mudawara Fitzroy River Council. The Mudawara Fitzroy River Council is quite newly formed and they don't have their website up and running yet, but it should be online in the next couple of months, so keep a lookout for it to find out how you can help the West Kimberley mobs with their campaign to protect country. We also heard from Director Martin Pritchard from Environs Kimberley at environskimberley.org.au. And don't forget to follow the updates on their website and social media and get involved with their call-out to start mobilising on the ground from next month against 40,000 proposed fracking wells across the beautiful Kimberley region. Matters would like to thank the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in bringing you this program today and the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support. 
Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne. And we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for now, but tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing whitefellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Those people who have no land rights haven't got justice, but neither do those people who have land rights have justice. You're listening to Community Radio Network around Australia, brought to you by 3CR Community Radio. So stay tuned as we bring you news, live updates, music and interviews with Aboriginal people from around the country. The only free body we have is the Aboriginal government on the grassroots and the Aboriginal embassy on the lawns outside the old parliament house. We will not go away. And as that stone rests in that mountain, and as our spirit rests in this country and over this country, we will not go away. Neither shall our power pass. And that's here forever, until justice comes. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.